In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on a rainy Thursday morning. It is October 28th, and last night, Atlanta United rallied to defeat Inter-Miami. 2 to 1 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on goals from from Luis Araujo and Joseph Martinez in the second half. Those two goals mark the first time that Atlanta United has rallied uh, after allowing the opponent to score the first goal or giving the opponent the first goal or the opponent simply taking the first goal uh, to improve its record to 1-7 and 3 in that situation this season, which I think is very important with the playoffs coming up and the likelihood that the team might have to rally at some point during a game. With the win, Atlanta United moved from 7th into 6th in the playoffs, but of most importance because it has three games left and most everybody else has no more than two, it controls its fate in the playoffs. It has 46 points. If it wins out, it will have 54 points which means that it would finish in at least fourth place, which would come with getting to host a first-round playoff game. There is an extreme unlikelihood that the team could finish as high as second, but that would require Nashville to lose uh, or draw its two remaining games, Philadelphia to not uh, win one of its two remaining games, NYCFC and Orlando are the two teams with 47 points directly above Atlanta in fourth and fifth. D.C. is in seventh with 44. Below the line are Red Bulls with 43, Montreal with 43, Columbus with 41, Miami with 38, Chicago with 34, Toronto with 27, and Cincinnati, which has clinched the wooden spoon uh, officially for the second time in three seasons, unofficially the third time in three seasons, apparently, according to Matt Doyle. One was not given out last year, but a very dubious mark for Cincinnati, which gave up a two-goal lead to Nashville, I think, twice last night. Just a horrible team. Um, But for Atlanta United, it's the one that it will close its season out against. So, again, New England was 73 points, clinched the Supporters' Shield, and set a record for uh, points in a season. Nashville second with 52, Philadelphia third with 50, New York City fourth with 47, Orlando fifth with 47, Atlanta United sixth with 46, D.C. seventh with 44, Red Bulls eighth with 43, Montreal ninth with 43, Columbus tenth with 41, and we are not going to worry about the rest of the teams because it is extremely unlikely that they are going to make the playoffs. And recapping last night's game before we start talking about some other things here, if that is okay with you. And I'll wait on my coffee to cool. 
Atlanta United finished with 13 shots to Miami's 11. Atlanta United put eight of those 13 shots on target to Miami's six. Atlanta United took eight shots from inside the box. Miami also took eight shots from inside the box. Atlanta United won 63% of the duels, which is a quite a large percentage, completed 85% of its 480 passes. It had more than almost three times as many passes as Miami. And as you can guess, dominated possession 61% to 40%. Now, the interesting thing about the stats is, and this reminds me a little bit of the time under Heinze, the team dominated possession, but it was Miami that actually created the better expected goals total. It was almost two to one in Miami's favor. So why did Atlanta United win? Well, because Brad Guzan stopped a point blank shot from Heinze. I don't know how much he knew about it. It kind of hit him in the shoulder, uh, literally from point blank range. And it was very hard to hit. It was volley by, by, uh, not by, not by Heinze, by Higuain. And then he stayed, he saved another shot at the end of the game kind of palmed the ball off the line just before it went in the goal. It's another fantastic save by Guzan uh, to preserve the win. Of course, y'all all remember the previous game against NYCFC when a free kick uh, was hit that went into the upper right corner. It was a fantastic free kick. Um, not much Guzan was going to be able to do about that. But it cost Atlanta United two points, which is why it would have a hard time rising as high as uh, second or third. Because drop points there, I think it's dropped. I think I figured out 11 points from from position from winning positions this season. Uh, the announced attendance was 42,536. That is not the people in the stands. That is just the tickets sold and distributed because it was not as big a crowd as usual. But Gonzalo Pineda, smart man that he is, talked about how it was a playoff atmosphere. Atlanta United has one more home game upcoming. And that is Saturday against the awful Toronto team. And what, and what I'm really going to be curious to see is if it's Michael Bradley's and Josie Altador's last games in Major League Soccer. Um, I can't imagine Toronto's going to bring them back. I don't know if they'd want to play for another team in Major League Soccer. Uh, Bradley might want to play with his dad wherever he ends up, if not LAFC. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see. Um, so the game last night, it was a tale of two halves. As I wrote, as I tweeted, Gonzalo Pineda said that the team had its best training sessions since he arrived in midseason in the lead-up to this game, but you wouldn't have known it uh, from looking at the team in the first half. It was lethargic. It didn't have any imagination. It created just three chances. It did take five shots, four of them on goal, but I think only one of them was probably a high-quality chance. Um, I don't have the expected goals for the first half in front of me. Part of that was after the game, Pineda said that Miami typically has played in a back four but switched to a back five, and that kind of befuddled his guys a little bit. Their movements and angles of attack and things they trained uh, were off because I guess the spaces weren't there, the numbers weren't there. So Anton Walks had picked up a yellow card in the first half. Pineda decided to take him off and put on Marcelino Moreno, who uh, could have played 90, Pineda said, but they held him out because he had a, a little foot injury that uh, he couldn't even walk for two, to, for two of the training sessions last week. But he came on. That allowed the team to switch to a back four, put another player in the midfield. Miami countered by switching to a back four so that it didn't have a numerical disadvantage in the midfield. And that's when Atlanta United's quality started to show through. 
They put six shots, or they created six chances in the second half. Of course, Ezekiel Barco won two yellow cards in succession, the second of which resulted in the free kick that Luis Araujo uh, put through the wall and underneath the goalkeeper, a fantastic free kick to tie the game. And then a couple minutes later, um, he found Joseph Martinez in space in the box. I shouldn't say it was 14 minutes later, it was 73rd minute. Um, and Joseph calmly finished with his right foot. The, that goal was also assisted by Brooks Lennon. Um, so it was nice for him to get another assist. The Martinez goal came like one minute after he had a goal ruled off for being offside, though I need to see a highlight because I don't think he was offside. Uh, we're going to get into the officiating because some of y'all had some questions about that uh, because it was awful, again, in my opinion. Um, I love Howard Webb, and I appreciate the work he's trying to do with the professional referees organization, but the officiating has got to get better, particularly in a league that is designed to have parity. You don't have parity when the officiating is bizarre. You, you get chaos, and while that may be fun, I don't think it's good for sport. I don't think it's good for the league. I don't think it's good for soccer. Um, a couple of interesting facts from the game last night and just in general. Uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, former Atlanta player, picked up his 14th yellow card this season, which ties an MLS record. Former Atlanta United teammate Eric Rometty with San Jose picked up his 12th yellow card. I can understand Rometty's a little bit because of the style and system that San Jose plays, but for Gonzalez Perez to have 14 yellow cards in 32 games, that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. I, I tweeted last night that MLS eventually just needs to rename it the LGP yellow card, you know, is given out to Gregor. Let's just throw a name out there. Uh, from now on, uh, or have his face sketched on each yellow card or something like that, just because it's, it's really kind of funny how often he gets them. Um, I don't think they're all deserved, but he has a reputation now, and that reputation is going to carry with him into every game. And, uh, you know, that's what happens. So, before we get into your questions, let's go around to the Western Conference real quick. A couple of fantastic goals. If you haven't seen Lucas Zellerian's goal last night for Columbus, it is amazing. I actually liked it better than the goal uh, scored uh, by Portland um, last night, the bicycle kick from 20-something yards, uh, simply because Zellerian's goal, everybody was doing everything exactly right, and he still scored, which to me is the definition of a Galazzo, whereas the goal scored by the Timbers player who's name for some reason escapes me right now. Um, there are a lot of mistakes made. Uh, still a fantastic piece of skill, but to me, not a Galasso. Fantastic goal, but not a Galasso. Coffee sip. All right. Now, let's get into some of your amazing questions. And as always, I appreciate your questions. I appreciate you taking the time to do so. Uh, we kind of had a drop off for a little bit. Um, in question, but now y'all flooded the mailbox and I very much appreciate it. And again, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Um, all right, let's get into the question. Uh, Jared Wilson sends in formation wise, and granted, this may be depending on the opponent, where do you think our best 11 is? Is it the 3 5 2 we've been toying with? 
Yeah, this is a really good question, Jared. And uh, I asked Pineda this last night. They, the, Atlanta United has not been able to play with Joseph Martinez, Ezequiel Barco, Marcelino Moreno, and Luis Araujo all in forward positions too often. When they've had the four on there, it's usually Moreno kind of as a defensive midfielder, one of two defensive midfielders instead of as an attacking midfielder. But they were able to do that last night because they only play with four at the back. You saw the, how much trouble they caused Miami. It enables the players to get into the positions that they play the best. So I think a lot is going to depend upon the opponent they face. If they're facing an opponent that is going to sit back, uh, I like the 4-2-3-1. The if they're going to play with a, against an opponent that is going to try to play with them, I like the 5 at the back with Marino as one of the defensive midfielders because then he could spring counterattacks. Um, so... For example, Toronto on Saturday, they're not, they don't have anything to lose. They've already been eliminated. They should try to play if they if they still have some spirit left in them. So I think Atlanta United should play the back four. Um, really, the remaining teams, I think, should just try to play with Atlanta United. And so you might continue to see that back four. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. And what coffee am I sipping this morning? It is one, I think. From New Orleans, it's nothing fancy. Uh, we never buy anything fancy. It's got a red bag with a diamond symbol on it. I cannot remember. I'm horrible with names, if y'all haven't noticed. Um, but anyway, to me, coffee, most coffee is just coffee. Uh, I get it for the caffeine and because I'm an old man. And it's what old men do, which is a little bit why I was so befuddled last night. I tweeted this. So I come out of the stadium, uh, I don't even remember what time it was, and I'm walking across one of the pedestrian bridges to get to the red deck, and all these cars are still leaving the red deck, and I could not figure out why, because usually after the end of a game, there's very few cars. The The parking deck is mostly empty, it's just me, I can do my own Fast and Furious, zipping around in my Toyota Prius, uh, you know, which has all the horsepower and, you know, all the sex appeal of an old shoe. Um, but I don't, but anyway, and there are all these young ladies, women, teenage girls, uh, variety of ages walking around in these sparkly dresses. And so I thought maybe that there was some sort of Halloween thing going on at the, at the Atlanta United game that I missed. And then I got up to, uh, I think the corner of Andrew Young and Olympic. And there were hundreds of women coming from Phillips arena wearing these sparkly dresses uh, still, I figured, well, it's got to be a concert, but who? I have no idea. I don't really listen to a lot of terrestrial radio, so I don't really keep up with the concerts other than what I get in my inbox for bands that, that I enjoy and possibly want to go see. Um, so it took a while to get home, and then I got home, and I Googled. Uh, at first, I Googled Phillips Arena because, again, I'm an old man. I can't remember names. And then realized, oh, it's State Farm now. Uh, Googled that, and Harry Styles who my stepdaughter, Joy, is a big fan of. Um, I'm not as big a fan of, um, but that's okay. Everybody's music tastes are different, and we're all good in that area. Uh, I think she's going to go see, I call him Lily Tomlin, but it's not Lily Tomlin. It's one of those other guys who was in that band with Harry Styles. I don't know. Anyway, I think they're going to go see him in concert um, at some point here. Louis something, Lou, Louis Tim, I don't know. 
Again, bad with names. All right. On to the next question. Pat Williams, uh, who friend of the podcast. What do we have here? Jake Mulraney. He puts the name in the topic and then goes to the question, which I do. And now I can understand why people get frustrated with me sometimes with email. Uh, Jake Mulraney seems to be the odd man out currently. How do you see him being used down the road? I've always liked the energy he brings when coming on as a sub. I agree with you, Pat. I like his energy, too. I like his skill set in Major League Soccer. I like his skill set in this formation. But like Jurgen Dom, it's tough to get any time with Barco and Araujo. And y'all notice I've gotten the name right this time. No, Araujo uh, on the left and right wings. So he's just going to end up being a super sub guy maybe to bring on if uh, Barco just needs a break or if they need another goal because he can also play fullback. Uh, but it's just that's the problem with being on a deep team that is playing well. Um, Jake's always a good guy in interviews, too. I like talking to him. He's always humble. He's always a little bit funny, and he's always honest. Um, He'll tell you if he played bad. He'll tell you if he played good. He'll tell you if he disagrees with the premise of a question, but he does so in a conversational way, which is a good thing. It's not, you know, these interviews aren't supposed to be antagonistic 99% of the time. Um, Sometimes they could come across that way depending upon the situation. Uh, you know, we had a couple with Heinz, particularly near the end. Um, but anyway, I appreciate the question, Pat. Uh, coffee sip. Michael says, I'm confused by the standings and the schedule. Atlanta United has 31 games with two games left. Nobody, they uh, have three games left. Um, they play 34. Uh, everybody's going to finish with 34 games. Last year was the one in which uh, there was an unbalanced schedule, but everyone's going to finish with 34. Knock on our wooden table as I sit in our dining room here, looking outside at the ring. Uh, so th- that's all going to get evened out. So don't sweat that one, Mike, uh, or Michael, if you prefer Michael. It is all good. Uh, Nick, friend of the podcast, uh, says, I hope I didn't miss the pod. You didn't. My question is this. I watched the game on my phone with no sound, so I couldn't really tell if we played decently or out-talented Miami. Yeah, that's a good question, um, and it's a it's a relevant question. And to be fair, I usually watch sports with the sound off too because most analysts, particularly in college football and pro football, don't really tell me anything new. Uh, they all try to sound like each other and it's all just cliches and jargon and I don't like it very much. I enjoy watching soccer with the sound up because I don't hear a lot of that and golf uh, for the same reasons and tennis. Um, you know, this is this is always something that people ask about Atlanta United and it's partially true and it's kind of a chicken or egg kind of thing. Does Atlanta United win because of its system or does it win because of its talent? Last night I think it won because of both. I think that the um, both goals were the result of tactics implemented and trained by Pineda. Um, Barco running and attacking at, at Miami center backs uh, was something they worked on. The pass from um, uh, Araujo to Martinez, primary assist zone for the team, uh, another thing that they worked on. So that's a, a function of the system and then the talent to finish those chances. Uh, by uh, Araujo and Martinez uh, resulted in the goals. Now, there's been some times in the past in which you could say, yeah, Atlanta had won that game because it had an Almiron and he could do things nobody else can do, or a Joseph because he could do things nobody else could do, or a Barco um, 
But last night, particularly a couple of the goals this year uh, under Pineda, I think have been because of the team and not because of individual skill, um, free kicks notwithstanding. Um, but these next three games are going to be a good, good test of that. But when it gets to the playoffs, it's, uh, you know, you a lot of times you win because you've got the best athletes or, or the best skilled athletes, and we're going to find that out soon enough. All right, that was a coffee sip. And going on to the next question here is from Ben. Um, I think Ben has asked questions before. Good morning, Doug. I hope you're enjoying your coffee. I am. Since MLS will not publicly hold PRL accountable for their awful officiating, when will the media? The poor officiating is hindering the growth of this league, and there are numerous examples in the past week where bad calls or non-calls have changed the outcome of matches. This will not change without pressure from somewhere, either the teams, fans, or media. Now, PRO does hold itself accountable. It does put out a video every week in which you can – I think it's every week – in which you can – they review calls um, – MLS, uh, Andrew Wiebe with MLS does this uh, every week, a video in which they go back and look at some of the officiating, give their take on what the calls were. Officials have been kind of removed or suspended for bad games. You just saw it in USL uh, the other day after a horrible call in Miami-Pittsburgh game. Uh, I think you're – I don't know if you're referring to the Brad Guzan penalty call last night. I thought that was a bad call. Uh, by the referee. Uh, I thought it was a 50-50 ball. Both players went for it. I'm still not even sure it was in the box. I think it was outside the box. Um, Morgan got there first, but the players got there at the same time. His foot got there first. But again, it's a 50-50 ball. Both players are going for it. Morgan gets there first. You have to give both players a chance to get the ball. If there's contact, and it's not deliberate. It's simply a result of both players trying to get the ball and what is truly a 50-50 chance. You cannot call a foul. Otherwise, defenders can't go after the ball. They're going to have to be passive. It affects the sport. Um, it was accidental contact. Again, it was really truly a 50-50 ball. This wasn't a late tackle. This wasn't a malicious tackle by Brad Guzan. This, this was nothing like that. Um, so I disagree with the call, but I disagree with a lot of penalty calls because I think the players should be allowed to play and they've got to be able to go after the ball. And, uh, it didn't happen last night. The referee last night was Guido Gonzalez Jr. I don't recall him doing too many Atlanta United games. Listening to some of the people around me, he has done a few and has not done a very good job. Um, so there you go. Kathleen, uh, nice to have a different voice on the podcast says, sorry if this question has been asked before, but have you heard any update on how Emerson Hyman is doing in his recovery? We haven't asked because the last time I asked, I think it was a Carlos, I may be wrong, Carlos Bocanegra, I may be wrong, but was told that he's recovering well. We do see him at training sometimes. He appears to be walking fine. We don't usually see him in his individual sessions, so don't see him running or anything. But last I heard, he's doing fine. Now, whether, you know, as because MLS is a salary cap league, it's going to be interesting. I was a little bit surprised that guy kept Emerson this year because he is a, a high salaried player like Jurgen Dom. 
Um, I think he's a fine player. I think he's a good player. But in a cap league, when you have a big salary, you kind of, you know, teams have to look at you closely at the end of the season to figure out, do you have a future with the club? What do we need to do? Um, so I'm going to be curious to see what Atlanta United does with Hindman, particularly since he's coming off with an injury. If they can, if they do keep him, if they don't want to keep him, could they find a trade partner? Would Austin want him to pair him with Ring? He can go back to his native Texas, Dallas. I, I don't know. Uh, I like Emerson. I, I think he's a fine player. Just again, he's got a big salary, and with that comes, you know, speculation every year as to the future. Ryan says, um, I will admit things from the lower level seats don't always give the most accurate view of how calls actually are. However, the referee last night might have been one of the most inconsistent central refs that I can remember ever seeing in person. Is it just the perception from close to the field and the emotions of the game, or was he really that bad? I don't think he was great. Um, you know, Atlanta United was fouled 25 times. He did give out, I think, five yellow cards to Miami players. Uh, I think he probably held off on one from giving him a second yellow, uh, which would have forced him off. Um, but it's very tough because Atlanta United has players who like to dribble. They like to attack, which results in fouls. Sometimes they sell it. Sometimes they don't. Um, and so it can be very tough on a referee to make an objective call. Uh, insert pause here to allow for your coffee sip. Well, thank you, Ryan. Continuing with Ryan's question. It appeared to me that LGP could have seen a yellow card on as many as four occasions, yet he barely received one, but he did receive one. You have to point that out. How can MLS continue to allow our players to receive double-digit fouls after the game? Is there anything the front office level that can be raised with MLS? Uh, thanks for keeping us updated and for the great coverage as always. Yeah, you know, as I said, all, all that MLS can do and PRO can do is keep training officials, keep looking for the best of the best and hiring them, and it'll get better. It's like anything in a new league, and MLS is still a young league. It's going to take time. Um, so none, none of us like it right now, but just be patient, and we will see what happens. Um, but, yeah, good question, good points. Thank you, Ryan. I think we have one more, maybe two more questions. Joshua says, thanks for your coverage, sir. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you. My question is, how much of our second half of the season improvement is related to our improved results from free kicks? Seems like we couldn't do much with set pieces in the first half, uh, for we've had some results since August. Do the statistics bear that out? I think this is off the top of my head. Uh, Joshua, I think Atlanta United now has 10 goals from free kicks. This season, and the majority are from the second half of the season, either from free kicks or corner kicks. Um, that I don't think it includes penalty kicks. The thing that befuddles me is Atlanta United's inability to score from corner kicks. Really, it's inability to get the ball into the box so that Miles Robinson can try to go up and win it. Uh, it ha was happening again over and over last night. Um, you've got uh, one of the best aerial weapons in Major League Soccer in Miles Robinson, and you can't get a corner kick into the, into the mix to let him try to win it. Don't understand it. Seems like you're passing up opportunities to score. Um, but we will see what happens. And I know the other team's trying to stop Miles, but still just dump it in there and see what happens. Adam says, uh, kudos to Pineda for his halftime changes in pep talk. The side was totally different in the second. About that, Pineda said he didn't have to give a pep talk. Said he came into the locker room, the players were focused, the players were mature, 
My players were ready to go. They knew what they needed to do. Uh, Arahujo told us that the players had already discussed, you know, what they needed to do and were good to go. Um, now, with your questions, Adam, uh, why does Atlanta not try to send Louise on runs down the right channel as much as Lennon? He's a fast enough player, and it seemed he was often in position to go. Because I think they want him to make more diagonal runs at the goal, whereas Lennon usually stays out wide uh, to deliver crosses in. I think that's why. Um, if you were to switch them around, you're kind of negating their skill set. Then you've got uh, Arahujo delivering crosses, and he can't put in the shot. And you got Brooks Lennon trying to shoot, and he can't put in the cross, and that doesn't really fit their skill sets. Um, it, continuing, it seemed more than just Joseph would sometimes camp out high and not come back for defense. Not all the time, mind you, but at one point in the last five minutes, the whole attacking trio were walking around the halfway line while Miami was in the attacking third. Is this a serious issue, and will other players get upset if the Stars don't help defend? I think they were just trying to get ready for a counterattack to end the game. I mean, I've got no complaints about the defense played by Barco, Joseph, uh, or uh, Arahujo in games. Uh, I don't think that's anything you need to worry about. Uh, Leroy, I think he's a new one, uh, a new person to the podcast. What is it about Barco that he gets zero calls? <laughs> and I'm laughing because he was fouled 12 times last night. Um that ties uh, an Atlanta United uh, single-game record, I believe, uh, is what Johannes put out last night. So he was getting calls. It may not be the calls you want, but he was getting calls. Um, all right, we got more questions. Uh, Fong, friend of the podcast, says, Hi, Doug. Do you think Atlanta looks better as a three-back with three attackers or a four-back with four attackers? Um, yeah, I covered this one earlier, Fong, but you asked the question first, but it's just the timeline of how the questions come in. Coffee sip. I think a lot depends upon the attackers uh, or the opponent, I should say. Um, usually I like five at the back, to be honest with you. But now that Atlanta has what are basically four DPs, I think the team might be better with four at the back. Uh, it's just I hate to see Walks or Franco go to the bench because they've both been playing well, but you can't have all the guys on the field at the same time. Um, so there you go. And that is going to wrap up our question. So I appreciate it, guys. Let me go back to the top of my email and see if we have any late questions coming in. No. Got an email that a Dolphin has predict the Braves to win the World Series. Well, if that's not science, it's it's scientific as anything else done by casinos, I guess. Um, And let's go into the Twitter's to see if we have any other questions. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Um, I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We've got fantastic coverage of the Braves in the World Series, the Georgia Bulldogs as the number one team in the college football universe. Uh, Georgia Tech football and basketball by the great Ken Segura. Steve Hummer writing about whatever is interesting and doing a fantastic job of it. Sarah Spencer on the Hawks, knocking it out of the park. The Hawks are playing well. Uh, D-Led on the Falcons. Is they, I think they've won three consecutive and a chance to get four this weekend against the Panthers, I think it is. 
Um, Georgia State playing well. I think they're the preseason favorite in Sunbelt men's basketball and the ever-expanding Sunbelt Conference, ever-strengthening Sunbelt Conference. Kansas State looking good in football. Um, so anyway, a lot of good coverage, not only of sports, but of the art scene, the culture scene, local government, big picture stuff with COVID. Please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's uh, cheaper than a meal for lunch. Um, so, all right. Going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer podcast. Atlanta United 2-1 to one winners over Miami. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.